if it'll burn the first order down. Come on! This is not going to go the way you think. need someone to show me my place in all this. Hey everybody, this is Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. Uh, this podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. And you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe, Tim. But before we get to anything, Tim, I know there was this this big movie release, and I'm curious Yes, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because it's not what you thought it would be. Is it yeah, that's is that right. <laughs> Yeah, there was this little yeah. movie that came out. Past week. I don't know. We haven't really talked about it too much. I don't think <laughs> there's like no buildup or hype to it. Or, yeah, yeah, uh, no buildup or hype. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, I mean, I don't know if you wanted. You just want to dive right into it because that was going to be our feature topic for the episode. But <laughs> did you just want to go straight into? Oh no, I was going to say let's just get into our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. <laughs> I was going to so say yeah. Can. Because it'll be weird to talk about that song, then we forget to do the Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to get through that movie first before we, uh, you know, get, get to our uh, get to our main topic for this episode. Because I'm yes. I'm super curious, Tim. I'm really really <laughs> curious about what you think, especially yeah. because it goes against, uh, see, you know, some of the stuff that people have sad and written about the movie and i'm just just really really curious because i thought if like if if anybody would have liked it it would have been you but that might not be the case right it might not be yeah well we'll get into it so yeah, let's right, get into right, the commentary because right. i'm anxious to hear your thoughts on it as well so <laughs> okay it's gonna be a little i don't know it's gonna be conflicting thoughts i'll say that yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, so, just grab your VHS copy, grab your laser disc, grab your um, HD DVD, grab your projector, grab your um, uh, Blockbuster rental, and grab your Netflix physical media subscription uh, DVD. Um, oh, and grab your DVD. I forgot to say that. Um, and just queue it, queue it up to the 95th minute, right, Tim? And I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one, hit play. First standoff on the bridge. <laughs> Which we'll come back to at the end with the military and this time not with Bane's men, but with the GCPD. But right now it's just Bane's mercenaries against the... Why are they trying to negotiate? Why don't they just... I mean, they, they have Humvees. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just go through them. It had to be maybe something where Bane's monitoring his men where, you know, if they shoot him or get rid of him, he'll set off the detonator. Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess. But 
that really wouldn't have carried out Bane's plan. I mean, would he really set the bomb up? Because, you know, he wanted to see Bruce see the city suffer. And if he blows it up right away, wouldn't that go against his plan? Like, right, right. The military could have called his bluff if they wanted to. Maybe. And I think you said this before. I don't know if it was on the commentary, but the reception they must have the great reception they must get (laughs) and down in that cave for the TV. (laughs) Because you figure this, this little cave thing is in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, is, is somebody, does somebody have satellite TV or is it just like a cable, like a, a 300 mile cable? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long wire. Yeah. They just snake throughout the desert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's our minute by minute commentary. Uh, now let's move on to our future topic, which of course is going to be the last Jedi. Um, and you know what, Tim, I'm just going to throw it over to you. All right. Yeah. It's kind of funny after coming out the dark Knight Rises, I think this movie has had a little similar feel to that as far as being divisive amongst its fans. <laughs> but at the same time, we're for, it's not like it's a badly made movie oh, or anything I'm sorry, like that. Tim. I'm sorry, Tim. Let me interrupt you really quick. Uh, we are going to go into spoilers for this, the, the the Last Jedi. So if you haven't really, if if you haven't seen it yet, um, definitely go and see it before you listen to this. Because, um, well, for me anyway, it's a movie that you don't really want to be spoiled on. Definitely, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Definitely pause this right now and go see it, and then come back to this because. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's definitely one you don't want to be spoiled on. Um, but let me just say something real quick, right on top, Tim. Okay. Um, are your complaints about the movie, uh, Ray, Snoke, and um, Luke? Two out of the three. Okay. Ray and Luke. <laughs> yeah, Ray and Luke. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Right away, my initial reactions after. The theater after the movie was over, and I was walking out of the theater. Was it was a feeling I never really had after a Star Wars movie before, where I just came out like really disappointed in some of the story directions they went with it, and in particular those two characters that I mentioned. It just because yeah, even with some of the stuff that you know you can can kind of nitpick and complain about the prequels, whether it's Jar Jar or some of the humor that was in there that just didn't work. It never affected the overall story of the movie and the overall story of the saga in those ones. But for this one, The Last Jedi, it really did. It made me uh, just question about some of the events that happened in the previous movies and how they can kind of almost not add up too much in this one. And just the course of the Skywalker legacy and the direction it's going to go next. So I'll go ahead and give my big complaints and negatives out of the way first for it right now. Uh Number one being Ray parents being a nobody and just coming from nothing, which in itself I think could be it's a cool background story for the character to have. You know, as Kylo Ren says, your parents are nobodies. They sold you off. Uh, I, I forget. I, I should specify too that I've only seen it once, and I, I think everyone, it was. I, I think it was for drinking money. I think it was. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, but I've only seen it once, and I've heard from everybody who's seen it once and kind of had some similar thoughts or feelings about it that I did. They seen it twice and they said, so it's a whole much better experience for them. So <laughs> I'm hoping that's going to be the case for me when I see it again, which hopefully will be very soon. But yeah, so like I said, that that's a cool story for Ray to have. And like for someone to come in from like those terrible origins, like her parents getting rid of her and her living on her own and surviving and yet becoming, you know, having force sensibilities and 
you know, becoming what's we're assuming going to be a Jedi and then, you know, the next hope and for the future generation of the Jedi and the galaxy. But the problem I have with that is it's kind of making everything that the Skywalkers did in their name almost like forgotten or pointless now because their Skywalkers are going to be remembered more for failures of the galaxy than actually saving it. I mean, Luke had did what he did in Return of the Jedi, redeemed Darth Vader, and with that help bringing the end of the Empire, there was a time for peace. But then that's pretty much the only success the Skywalkers are going to have because after that, he failed to bring up the Jedi Order again, which, you know, we all thought was his next uh, like calling that he had to do after he redeemed Darth Vader, got rid of the Empire, he'd established a new Jedi Order. That didn't go right, and he went into, you know, exile. Now we know why he did it, not to learn you know, to just meditate and try to find out what he did wrong and to correct himself he, with the force. He went there to close out, <laughs> to close himself off from the force and to die. He even said that I'm just here to die. So just completely given up just on Ben Solo of what he did. And the fact that I see, I'd be okay with it with Ray and all that. If Luke really kind of took her under his wing and trained her to fact that, you know, to kind of redeem himself for failing Kylo Ren but that never happened. He gave her that one, like, few little lessons, but that in nothing that she could really take on and, like, to learn from herself, like he did with Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. He just pretty much left her on, an, on her own. And after she left and he destroyed the, you know, all that was left of the Jedi teachings. But thankfully, she took those books <laughs> before he even knew. And she had those on the Falcon at the end, which I thought was cool. And just to show that she will have some training, because I did kind of find it hard to believe that the movie left it where she's going to be the start to train this new generation of Jedi, but she hasn't really been trained yet. Like, how's that going to work? But thankfully it shows she took those books, which is going to give her some stuff to go off of and to be trained on. So that was fine. But at the end of the day, to me, it's like, okay, this, this movie, the the saga films are about the Skywalker family. And now we got to episode eight. It's kind of like, okay, the Skywalkers are pretty much, screwed up the galaxy with Anakin. Luke redeemed him, but then Luke failed Ben Solo and couldn't bring up the Jedi Order and just went into exile. And Ben Solo's, you know, wreaking havoc across the galaxy uh, in this current timeline. So the Skywalkers are going to just be end up as failures. But now we just need this group of new and upcoming people with no connection to them to kind of correct what the Skywalkers uh, did and do what the Skywalkers couldn't and establish a new Jedi Order. To me, that just doesn't feel right when this series of nine films is about the Skywalker family and yet it's going to end on a note where they couldn't do what needed to be done, but these new random people are going to be able to establish what they couldn't. And to me, that just doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me right now. And like I said, maybe on another viewing, the story that they're going with will click with me better. I'll just, maybe I'll have to learn to accept it as Kylo Ren says in the movie and I have to let go of the past (laughs) or maybe just (laughs) my expectations and what I felt the Skywalker film should be but right now that's how i'm feeling but i just feel like for a film series that's about the skywalkers and their family it's going to end on such a you know negative note about them and how you know it's not at the end of the day it won't be them who brings peace in the galaxy and establish the new jedi order so that's really my number one issue with it right now yeah and i can definitely see where you're coming from and it seems like a lot of uh, star wars star wars fans agree with you um i'll say it's pretty split because i've seen a lot of people i follow on social media and twitter they all yeah. love it i kind of feel like the uh, outsider i know a few people 
or kind of feel what I do, but it's, it's weird. It's like I see, I don't see a lot of negativity that and feelings that I have for it, but the people I follow who like it, they say they're saying they're seeing a lot of <laughs> the negativity and split yeah. between it. So I know it's kind of all over the place, but it just kind of depends on who you're following and the fans you interact with, I guess. Well, I guess coming coming at this movie for me is I don't really feel that connection, um, you know, where the this new trilogy is about the Skywalkers, you know, and, and everything that you've said. I see it more as I don't, and this is kind of the initial feeling I had coming out of the movie and then, you know, going on Twitter and stuff is... I don't think Luke in particular has ever been set up to be that next guy. I don't think he's he's ever been set up to be the the leader of the new Jedi order. Um, really, even from like watching Return of the Jedi cuz that's ever since I was a kid that's all I've grasped that well, this is the yeah, beginning yeah. of a new in fact, I had generation for Luke to build up. Yeah, in fact, I had to go back and I watched like the last ten minutes of, ten twenty minutes of uh, Return of the Jedi, and yeah, like I, I, I never got that feeling that he was going to be the next guy. I thought he was just going to, you know, train somebody, and then let them go on their way instead of you know we're going to establish something. You know, we're going to establish the new Jedi Order, um, but. I guess my my big problem with um, you know all people like you that think that um, Luke was supposed to start this new Jedi Order is the fact that I think Luke at the end of the original trilogy um, I think he realized that there is no way that he could he could do it right mm. and I kind of get the feeling in this movie that he he had a hunch, you know, back in Return of the Jedi, and then now it's just confirmation. The, uh, the Last Jedi's confirmation of this. And that the Jedi have to become something else. And I think... Well, I mean, that's that, that's at least what I got from this movie. The, and, the lasting impression, you know. And I agree. I would agree with that, because like, at the beginning, I did kind of like how Luke was that, you know, jaded person who, you know, wanted to see the Jedi in, because he was right when he mentioned how, you know... <laughs> The when he's telling Ray about you know the the problems of the history of the Jedi, how they let Darth Sidious rise to power and become the Empire, he technically is right. The thing that I was hoping for is that he would see the new hope and the new generation of Jedi in Ray and would play a part in building that up by training her. Like maybe he said, okay, I failed to bring the the Jedi Order back, but through Ray, she could probably be, you know, the one to do it. Maybe the one where I failed. Let me help her do that. My problem is that by the time the movie was over, Luke didn't really help that much in Ray's or Ray's progression into that. Yeah, but it it also could be the thing where it's it's more like um no matter what he does, it's his lasting impression on Ray is it has faults in it. Because he was trained by Master Yoda, who trained all these Jedi, who was the, the, the head, I guess you could say, of the old Jedi Order. And 
with that comes flaws, you know, and, and no matter what Luke does, no matter how Luke teaches Ray, those same flaws would be imprinted in her. So what she has to do, in a sense, is do her own thing, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I don't That's know. That's a good one. I never yeah. looked at it that way. Like, no matter what I do, like, even if I try to help her, it could be the wrong course for this new generation because the way yeah. I was taught that. Yeah, it's like, it's like no matter what, what you do, you're still going to imprint on somebody that that bad, flawed way of thinking, you know, no matter no matter what you do. So that, that's just the sort of thought or feeling that I came away with where – Luke just isn't that guy. And I, I, I've said this from the trailers um, that I, I've gotten the impression that Luke isn't that guy that's going to start the new Jedi Order. He's not the person for Rey. Um, it's just not Luke. And I, I, I know a lot of people have had trouble with that, especially because it's Luke Skywalker. And, you know, he, he's the center of those original trilogy films. His father was the center of the prequel trilogy. Um, and I know it's it's kind of hard for people to realize that maybe the Skywalkers aren't such a great thing and may, for for the Jedi, and maybe they're just not good or or right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the problem I have with this. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm trying to grasp because, like I said, this it's these nine set of movies are about the Skywalkers, and it's going to end on a down note about them. Like uh, <laughs> that's why I'm having trouble grasping right now. So yeah. I mean. It, at the same time, too, I, I don't want to, like like I said, first of all, i got to see it twice. At the, sen- the second part is we got to wait for episode 9, too, to really see where the story goes. I mean, it all depends on Kylo Ren, too. I mean, because he's the last Skywalker now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it looks like a Force ghost. Uh, I mean, in the, in the living. Oh, <laughs> in the <okay>. living place. <laughs> so, like, what's going to, like, he's going to determine, is the Skywalker name going to end with him? Or is he going to redeem himself? Is he going to have a kid with someone? I don't know. So it's going to be interesting. I'm really anxious to see what JJ is going to do with episode nine to where this is left off. But yeah, right now it's those story beats about, you know, Ray being a nobody and the Skywalker legacy kind of being almost, you know, ended up, you know, going to be remembered for failing more than succeeding. Is this why I'm having a hard time grasping right now and accepting? So maybe I'll get there. And just yeah. realize that this is the story, the course that's going to carry on. But right now, it's, that's just the feeling I can't shake. And I'm, man, yesterday, all I did was think about this movie literally every minute of the day, no matter <laughs> what I was doing during work, driving, eating. And then by the time the day was over, I just had some free time. I didn't even want to do anything like watch anything, play a video game. I just I went shopping for some of the new books. I read the book. I just sat there thinking about the movie, listening to John Williams score, just thinking about it. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't bring myself to do anything. This movie just as much as like, even though I was disappointed with a lot of the story beats of it. Yeah. The movie definitely stayed with me. <laughs> I was thinking about it. And I think that's the good thing because yeah. the worst possible thing could be like, Oh, I didn't like it. And I forget about it. Like to for- not even think about a Star Wars movie afterwards and to forget about it, that would be even worse than just not liking it. So it definitely stays with you. Yeah, and I think it's gonna it, it it's gonna take time, right? I mean you look at Empire, yeah. right? I think people didn't really like it when it came out. Um and I, I know for a fact the reviewers didn't. Um 
Not sure about the fans, though, but I think you just have to see it, A, see it again, and uh, B, you, you just you have to think about it more. Um, it's definitely, and and I think this is to this. Uh, I think this is a this is so great that it's splitting fans because mm-hmm. it's. I think it's what the, the the Star Wars franchise needed. You know, it's it's not everybody doesn't always have to agree on everything right and i i think that's one of the strengths of this movie that you know some people like me love it and love where they're taking the characters love the fact that raise a nobody and then there's people like you that um you know it's it's not sitting well with them and i think that that that's just a great thing for the for the star wars franchise okay those good to have nice debates. I mean, sometimes it gets pretty nasty online, of course, with oh, fans. Yeah. <laughs> but or we could have civil debates on why we think it works or things it does. It makes for fun conversations. But yeah, yeah. So and, and as for the Ray thing, Ray being a nobody, I actually really, really like that. It it, it just shows that not everything in the Star Wars universe has to be homogenous. It doesn't have to be this person is actually related to this person, which is related to this person and that person and that person from the prequel trilogy. You know, it, 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 it can just be, this is a nobody. Um, this has, this character has no connection to anybody. Um, it, it does. She's not a Skywalker. You know, she's not, she's not anybody. And I, I think that really, really, really works, um, for this new trilogy and for, for Ray. Um, Here's my problem with that and how it was done. Yeah. Well, I got a few actually. So first <laughs> off, what again being, you know, these set of movies being centered about being about the Skywalker family and everyone, even the directors, Kathleen Kennedy, everyone talked about this, like the Skywalker saga, these films and to have your main protagonist not be a Skywalker or connected like to like all the reasons I said before, it's like it feels a little strange. And but more so that because I think, like I said, Ray's story is good if but the problem about it for me is also why do they bother to keep it a secret this long why not just say it in the force awakens from the get-go to have all these fans myself included speculate on it try to think oh there's got to if they're keeping it a secret it's got to be something pretty significant even in the last jedi they they were building it up like we thought at certain points ray was going to learn who her parents were that moment in the in the mirror cave where she's looking at that reflection and that it's kind of fogged up and it's getting clearer and clearer and we're going to see who it is and it just ended up being Ray. And I, I thought to myself, oh, so is it going to be like she has no parents? She's like a manifestation of like a new force birth, kind of like Anakin. But then to have it all that build up, two years of speculation, oh, she's a nobody. Can you <laughs> have someone say a line of dialogue like that in The Force Awakens and have it established there instead of having this two years of build up and having it be for that? To me, it's like unnecessarily try keeping it a secret for that long and to where someone could have been easily said in the force awakened and not have all this build up and to have disappointment amongst fans like me and other ones who are you know anticipated to be having a stronger connection to just being a nobody so there's a couple yeah. of reasons why i don't think i don't like that idea of her just being from coming from that and i i kind of would like it like if she was if they actually said you know the force is kind of doing a course correction here type of thing where, you know, it sees the problems of the Skywalker family name. It keeps, you know, either going to the dark side or failing to really bring balance to the force. And we needed 
someone to, you know, put it in balance where the Skywalkers have failed. If they kind of actually said that this is something that the Force is doing, I probably would be able to take it better. But maybe that's just implied because I, for myself, I'm kind of reading it that way, even though it's not specifically said because it makes me feel better about the whole situation with Ray being a nobody and being able to have this big impact on the galaxy to bring balance and hope to it. So I don't know. I just, like I said, that's something that I was really hoping she'd have more significance to her origin, but especially in this being centered in the Skywalker saga film, that's my big thing. And this is like Ryan Johnson's new trilogy. And it was being like, not part of the main saga. And this is with a character like Ray who had those comes from nobody. I would be able to accept it more, but since this is the Skywalker saga set of films, the fact that someone is going to, you know, be the main like savior or hero. And it isn't the Skywalker, but the movie's all about that, their family. It's just, that's like I said before, that's the hard time I have my head wrapping around that whole idea. So. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the thing with Ray and I guess Snoke too, is the fact that, you know, people that don't like it, I'm just wondering if it's, the fact that they were wrong or that their theory didn't matter, you know, because I mean, everybody was walking around with the shirt and everybody was <laughs> on Twitter. Your, your, Snoke theory sucks. Right. Mm. I think what those shirts and the hashtags and everything on Twitter should have said is your Snoke theory doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> and the same could be said for Ray. Um, I, <laughs> I, see, I, mean, I, I mean, is is is, is, is that why you're mad, you're disappointed in it because it doesn't matter, or is it because that you were wrong? No, I think it's it's different from Snoke because in yeah. the Force Awakens they never made Snoke's identity to be a, a big deal or his origins. For Ray, they did. They kept it a secret and tried to create this big mystery around it for two years and. They, I, they it seems like they really did that and encouraged fan speculation about Ray, and for it to become. And I know a lot of people like you are really happy and were hoping that she'd be a nobody in the brand new character. So the half of that fan's going to be happy, and the ones on my camp thinking that since it's the Skywalker saga, she would need a big connection or so an origin of significance to you know keep that going, or would be the disappointed half. But the Snoke. I'm totally okay with what they did with him because, like I said, they never built Snoke up to have this big origin mystery. That was something I think fans created more so than the filmmakers did with Snoke. So I actually liked how he, <laughs> he was taken out in this movie. And I was kind of speculating like a few weeks beforehand that that would be the case because uh, Andy Serkis, Brian Johnson, they kept saying, you know, we don't dive into Snoke's history really at all in this movie. And it kind of played his role down a lot where it's like, there's not this isn't about Snoke. So that just made me think, you know what? I think they're gonna he might not make it through this movie and have episode <laughs> nine develop into something beyond just Snoke. Like he was just there as a purpose to have a figurehead for the first order, but things something's gonna happen in episode eight that's gonna change all that where it's not gonna matter like the first order is not gonna be as big as an antagonist as it's gonna be in the first two, and that's kind of what happened when Snoke got chopped and out. I love that whole sequence actually. I thought that was great. Yeah. So Snoke, I'm okay with what they did with him. I think that's more a fan, uh, a fan buildup than anything else. But with Ray, I think the filmmakers deliberately encouraged that and created this theories and speculation about her for two years unnecessarily because of not just saying her she's her family's 
comes from nobody in the Force Awakens that easily could have been avoided there. Yeah, and yeah, I I I, <laughs> I can't defend that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that that they built up Ray to be this mysterious character and she just ends up being um, a nobody, but. Um, going back to what you were saying about uh, Snoke, or you kind of had the feeling that Snoke wasn't going to make it through the movie. Mm. I had the same exact feeling about um, Luke. Because mm. if you think about it, um, back when they were doing all the promotion for The Force Awakens, who was the main person that they were focused on? Yeah. <laughs> it, Han was, Solo. it was Han Solo. It was <laughs> Harrison Ford. He was doing all of the talk shows and, you know, doing a lot of the promotion and you look at the promotion for uh the last jedi who was doing all of that yeah <laughs> it was mark hamill so i kind of had a feeling i was like oh luke's not gonna be making it through this movie i think this is the last luke movie <laughs> so yeah um in the end it's a it's a great thing that we're we're still talking about it um you, tim you're having some conflicted thoughts on it <laughs> Which you know it's 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 great it's it's a good thing and I'm I'm sure you'll come around to it. Right? Yeah, but yeah. I still want to I want to give out some positives though, and I don't want to just sure. feel like I'm all negative on it. So, <laughs> um, I really like my favorite sequence in the movies. We just tied in for what we're just talking about with Ray, Kylo, and Snoke. I love that whole sequence. That was really cool. And just Ray and Kylo Ren throughout the film, I think, were the highlights. And just Ray, even though she didn't get the training I wanted to see, just seeing her or was luke on octo is this really cool another problem i had with the movie was that i wasn't so invested in the resistance and finn and rose subplot that was going on there every time we got to those uh section of the movie I was like okay her, let's hurry up and get back to octo with luke and ray <laughs> i just wanted to spend all my time there so maybe i'll feel better about that too on a second go around on the resistance side of things but I did like it once everything we got to the end on crate and the resistance there was Finn, Rose and Poe. All that stuff was really was really cool. It's just kind of in the middle when they're on Canto Bite. I really didn't like the Canto Bite sequence on there. But because another okay, before I get to more positive, let me just get one more negative out of the way. <laughs> Is it um, all negative, Tim? It's not all <laughs> do, negative. Do, I do promise. Not like this movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's the I thought the humor in this one felt off to me. And it was like, I know the the Jar Jar humor was more slapstick and definitely felt out of place in Star Wars. This one, while different, felt out of place too. Even from the get go, with Poe talking to General Hux, is like saying, "Oh, this who is it? General Hux? I'm waiting for General Hux." It went on too long. It just didn't feel like Star Wars. It felt something that like Iron Man would do in a Marvel movie or something. It just didn't feel natural into the Star Wars type of humor. And then the Canto Bite stuff, uh, I didn't mind how it looked or anything certain certain aspects of it did like some of it looked a little too real world casino some of the like human characters i guess i should say then some of the humor with uh bb8 and that little creature and the slot machines and him firing out the coins later on against those guards and like blowing his like lighter like a gun like uh, (laughs) that felt out of place too so some of the humor didn't work for me and then but not all of it there was some funny stuff that i thought did work bb8 in the walker blasting up storm two, that was also <laughs> i love seeing bb do that so the humor is another thing that i felt was felt a little off in this one so but without the way let's get to my positives <laughs> well i mean the, the thing about the humor is like how, how do you 
how do you insert humor into this? I mean, it's it's kind of a dark movie if you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, and again, like humor that doesn't work for me is not the end all be all. If I could, we can all survive Jar Jar type humor. We were, were okay with anything. <laughs> it just felt different in this one. But yeah, so I like I said, Luke and Ray on Octo. I just I loved all that stuff despite not going where I wanted to by the time it was over. And I really liked the connection with Ray and Kylo Ren, that whole, you know, where they could see each other through the force. Yeah. I loved that aspect. I thought that was a cool new way to use like that force connection. Though I was a little disappointed that it was Snoke who put it there. I thought it was, you know, just because they had a strong connection to each other. That and it's still there, so maybe it'll build on that. But I regardless, I thought that was a cool way to connect them and have them communicate with each other without, you know, being on the same planet or whatnot. So I did like that aspect of it too. And like I said, the whole uh, Snoke throne room sequence was awesome. The way it built up to Kylo about to kill Rey and Snoke is seeing it through the force. I could see you igniting the saber and striking down your greatest enemy, but yet Kylo's going to strike down Snoke. I love that. (laughs) That was really cool. And then the action sequence with uh, Rey and Kylo teaming up and finding those Praetorian guards. It was really cool. It was a different type of Star Wars lightsaber battle, but again, I want different <laughs> in these movies. So that was great that we got that. And so that was really cool. And then even the Battle of Crate. I thought that was a really cool action sequence too. Uh, but the ski, the planet itself was, I love the look of it. The salt and the red undertones to, uh, once uh, you go underground. And then also those crystal foxes, the Vulptex, I thought were really cool. I love the creatures in this movie. And the Fothiers on Cantobite, they were really cool creatures. My favorite sequence on Cantobite is the, a uh, sequence with Rose and Finn riding the Fafiers like through the casino and out and through the open field. I thought that was cool. So yeah, the whole final battle on Crate was awesome. And uh, yeah, so not all of it was where I have complaints. Of, it's a mixed bag for me. I don't want to say like, I don't like it. I do. It's just it's right now just hard to keep put it up there and have that same feeling I have with any other Star Wars movies because like I said at the beginning, this one affects the story like of the other films like no other <laughs> movie in the saga has done before and that's what's making it real hard to process because i'm not really agreeing with some of the story choices they made with it right now but as a course of a whole movie that's definitely you know it's a star wars movie i don't think it's it's impossible for me not to like one <laughs> and then even though there are but this one as weird as it feels to have some major plot points not work for me it, it's still a movie that i'm you know, it's enjoyable to watch just as a star wars fan because of some cool sequences like that and even some great character moments too even though like i said the story for him didn't go the way i want there's still some great moments between luke ray that you know are really cool so yeah i just i just gotta see this movie again <laughs> I mean, that's all it's coming down to right now just i'm just really hoping for a better experience now that i know what to expect i can just sit back and take it all in and hopefully some of that stuff i have problems with will work better for me yeah i was gonna ask you how, how did that um, force connection work. I mean, it, there was uh, Ray and Kylo, but it was being facilitated by Snoke. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so, so he was, yeah, he obviously, you know, knew about their lightsaber battle that they had in the Force Awakens and that connection there, and probably yeah. was the power that he had was able to just link him up between that. So I hope that continues through the through episode nine. I would really hope it if they have more physical like scenes together where they're both uh, together actually in the same 
planet or area or whatnot, but if not, I hope we still get more of that like force telephone calls, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, um, if, if you could give it a rating, what would you give it? Right now, I'd probably give it a three out of five. I mean, yeah, I'm going to go with three right now. Because like I said, I got some major story points from it that aren't working for me right now. But in the end, there's still a lot of great stuff in the movie that I did like. And so enough to warrant a three. Well, what did you like, Tim? Because you just haven't told us. I just told you all. I'm just just playing. (laughs) I was going to say, that wasn't enough. Come on. Um. Now, living here the opposite for me, I know you really loved it. Well, did you have any negatives with it, or not yeah, really? My, my one big negative is uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, Princess Leia. Gen- so, sorry, General Leia. Um, she she was kind of in it, but for most of the movie, she's out of it. I just yeah. wish um, there there was more Princess Leia, especially you know with the fact that Carrie Fisher uh, passed away. But uh, besides yeah. that, it's it's not really. I don't really have any complaints with it. Um, I, I I think my main positive is that uh, Ryan Johnson, he mm-hmm. he didn't do what we expected. Yeah, you know everybody expected for for better and worse for every Star Wars fan. You know Ray wasn't isn't connected in any way to the Star the the, the Skywalker family. Um, every every reason that we've listed right he, and and there's no big lightsaber battle between the two big main villains mm-hmm. um i thought that was really really uh great for this movie because you kind of expect that from a star wars movie and yeah. he, he did he didn't do that well kind of he did <laughs> he didn't do that um and, and and you know if 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 this new trilogy is mir- mirroring the original trilogy trilogy uh, in empire there's the big vader luke fight um and there isn't that in the last jedi and it's it's not the movie that we expected it's certainly not the movie that i expected um and i'm really really glad that it, it, it split the audience and um i mean for better or worse that it split the uh, split the audience and um, and that we're still talking about it and we're still thinking about it constantly and, you know, all of this stuff. Um, what I didn't know was Ryan Johnson actually directed one of my favorite, uh, episodes of Breaking Bad. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's called Fly. Uh-huh. And it, that episode, you either hate it or you love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds familiar. It's, it's pretty much just two people uh, in a basement. So, and, and it's very, very character driven. And some people didn't like it because there, nothing happens, but it's character driven. You learn more about the characters instead of having this big action scene, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I totally love what Ryan Johnson did. I love this movie. Um, and two, two years is going to be a, two, three years is going to be a long, long wait for episode nine, 10. Yeah, you got that right. Especially when we got the Han Solo movie coming in May, not December, next December. So yeah. it's going to 
It'll be great to have two Star Wars movies this close to each other, but after Han Solo, it's going to be like a long time. <laughs> yeah, and did I read it correct that J.J. Abrams just pitched Episode Nine like yesterday? I heard reports like about Friday. that. Too. I don't know how accurate that is, though, because yeah. I imagine they'd be working on the script for a while now since he was announced that him and Chris Terrio were going to be writing it. It's hard to believe that they're just pitching it and then they're going to be writing it. Maybe they showed him the script and <laughs> what they have, like a draft of it. But yeah. I, I got to think it's further along than just a pitch. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it four out of five. Four out of five stars because, yeah, it's not the perfect movie. Um, I kind of don't have any complaints with it. I just wish we had more Carrie Fisher. Um, I kind of wish we had more with that, uh, with the little Finn, Poe, and Rose group. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, I, th- I think they could. I think they could have their own movie. Uh, that's what, the thing. Like, but this, it's kind of like another thing that's different about it. Like, what's supposed to be the main group of heroes, like Ray, Poe, and Finn, like they're never on screen together. Like they're always off. Even in the Force Awakens, they were barely besides Ray and Finn. Like with Poe, like Poe just introduced himself to Ray at the end of this movie. <laughs> so it's kind of like the heroes are always the main heroes are like split apart from each other. We'll see if that continues in Episode Nine. But it would be nice to kind of get a movie where they're together more than they are apart. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, hey, you liked it. I mean, I, I liked it. You, you're you kind of on the fence, Tim. Yeah, I'm in the middle. Yeah, I never thought I would be for a Star Wars film. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> be honest, it feels weird. <laughs> yeah. It really does. And it's, it's funny because um, I didn't like Justice League and everybody else liked Justice League, so now you know what I kind of feel like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's, but it's on another level for me on Star Wars. It's oh like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, I don't like it. I gotta say, I don't like this feeling. <laughs> I'm happy everyone else is really liking it. That just makes me think, why am I not? Why is it not connecting? I mean, like I know why, but why is it? Like I, I feel so strongly about that. Where every, or I shouldn't say everyone, but the most people, it's it's really working for them, and it's not for me. It's like. Uh, I don't like yeah. that. And I'm usually the one who's always the more positive about things when there is stuff <laughs> that could be divisive. I'm usually always on the more positive side of it. And this one, I'm not. This feels weird. Yeah, because you're a Skywalker supporter, right? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> For so, better or worse. Hopefully, next our next episode, Dane, I'll come back with a, after I see it, maybe more than two times. I'm definitely going to see it more yeah. than twice. So hopefully I'll have a better reaction and feeling towards it by the time we get to our next episode. Yeah, you know, I'm just wondering what they're going to be doing now. Because, I mean, you have Luke as a space ghost. Um, but Carrie Fisher, I mean, are, how, how are they going to yeah. do that? I, I'm really hoping episode 9 takes place a few years after. To, I think that would work better for the story, especially, uh, you know, with Ray, if they were going to make it where she's more stronger in the Force, have a few years to go by, which they able to read those Jedi texts. And it's even yeah. with uh, the Carrie Fisher situation where, you know, instead of just picking it up right after, it's going to make it harder to explain why she's not there. But if it's a few years, they could probably give an explanation, like an in-universe story, why Carrie or Princess Leia or General Leia is not there, whether uh, she's somewhere else. Or I, I have a hard time thinking they're going to uh, kill the character off where we don't see it with Princess Leia being such a huge character in Star Wars to say that she's like no longer stuck that she died, but we never got to see it. I don't know if that'd be the right way to go. So I think maybe they'll just say she's off doing something or whatnot. 
instead of just saying the character has died. But it's going to be really interesting to see what JJ comes up with. Man, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a tall task for him to make it work and all that. So we'll see. And this should become a force ghost. Oh, that's the thing. Depending on if she, she was taught how to do it, because that's all, as we learned from that Yoda oh, arc. Oh, yeah. Clone Wars, you have to be taught in order how to become that. So right. maybe Luke, I mean, she could, Luke could commune with her and teach her how to do it, just like, you know, Obi Wan, Yoda, and Luke learned. So it's definitely possible. And where did Luke get those books from? Uh, they were just on the planet. They were left there. Like Oh, they were left there. They were just always there on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great movie, Tim. It's a great movie. I don't know why you don't see it. <laughs> I'm hopefully, hopefully eventually, like, here's my hope, whether yeah. it's a long time from now or the not too distant future, I'm um, hopefully I'll say, man, remember that time where I, I really was disappointed in the last <laughs> Jedi? And how wrong was I? <laughs> That's what I want to happen later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you like it, if you don't like it, definitely see it. Definitely see it again. Um, it's, it's a great movie and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we'll see where it goes from here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I get, I guess that's it for a feature topic for this episode. I, I know we're not a star Wars podcast, but, um, Star Wars I think since our very, very early on, like before we got to single digit episode numbers of our show, <laughs> people know how much we love star Wars. <laughs> we have to talk about it. Um, so yeah, now we can just get into our news and discussion topics. Um, uh, this isn't a very good one. If you, if you love the Justice League, uh, movie, if you like the Batman versus Superman, um, Man of Steel movies, um, but there's going to be shakeups at Warner Brothers, um, after the j- disappointing Justice League, uh, box office. I, I don't know if it was necessarily a disappointment. I, I I think I remember reading like it's the it's the most it's the most money uh, a bomb movie or a bad movie has <laughs> ever made or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Like the same time, like like we said on our last episode with Justice League, it should be making a lot more than it yeah. did. It should easily clear a billion with these iconic characters. But this whole news of the uh, shakeup at Warner Brothers, I, it was expected after the disappointing box office numbers but what's getting me and this is coming from a variety report of this is the shakeups they're doing doesn't make sense to me the especially because they're saying that jeff johns and john berg they were in charge of like the dc films division of warner brothers now that's pretty much going away i think that john berg's going to be off doing his own thing somewhere else and here's the thing that gets me that really made me upset reading this jeff johns pretty much now is going to be reverting, reverting back to more of an advisory role, not pretty much being in charge of having say in anything, which is like the worst possible direction Warner Brothers can go. To me, he was like the one person in there, like the reason Wonder Woman was awesome. I mean, not, he's not the only reason, obviously, but I think he played a big part in that and making sure they got the character how it should be. And even Justice League, the stuff of like the p- things that people liked about it, especially with Superman was him not being a dark evil character for the whole movie, which uh, reading reports looked like he was going to be and having him be the more hopeful and inspiring Superman everyone's been waiting for. And I think the most uh, universal thing that people said about justice league, regardless they didn't like it or not, is that 
by the end, that was the Superman we've all been waiting for in this movie universe. I think a lot of that came from Jeff John's mandate to have the character be that way. And now they're getting rid of the one person I think had the best influence on these movies. And now he's going to be gone. And it's like, ah, Warner Brothers, what are you doing? He <laughs> just like, you just don't get it. And uh, it just, again, what we said in our Justice League discussion, like where they're going to go from here and how they're going to bounce back from this. Not to go in that whole discussion again, but just just made me less optimistic about what they're going to go forward with Jeff Johns not playing a big part in it. So uh, to me, this is a really dumb move by them and it is really disappointing. And like I said, we'll see where it goes. But it's to me, it's made me less optimistic than before, which I really didn't want to be. So but I guess we'll just have to look forward to more great comics from Jeff Johns and I guess maybe more on the TV side of things from him and it's just disappointing that his influence won't be felt as strongly as it should be for the film so I just, yeah, but, yeah, but he, he he hasn't left um, he's still there right he's still there his, his yeah. role is going to be a lot smaller like I said just advisory you know that really doesn't add him out too much because yeah. he could give advice they don't have to listen to him though where before I think he actually had like creative power to like do things where they'd have to listen to him, but now it looks like that's not going to be the case anymore. You see, I'm not sure, like you, how to feel about this. I do agree in the sense that there needs to be a shakeup uh, with with Warner Brothers and the DC movies. Um, I just think they need more movie people on this on this franchise. I'm not sure if Jeff if Jeff Johns is the right guy. I'm not sure if yeah, like he's the right guy to lead it forward and I can see why they they sort of diminished his role in that. Um but I do agree that there's there yeah, like I said there there has to be some kind of shakeup because you you can't put that much money into a big movie like Justice League and have it do what it did. So yeah, I think there needs to be more people that know how to make movies rather than people that make comics. And yeah, but you still gotta have that comics. So make have a person knows what these characters work though. What makes them fan favorites and all that. And yeah, but if if you really think about it, Christopher Nolan didn't really have anybody like that, and he made no, some but, of the best superhero movies. No, that's definitely true. I just think when you're trying to have a, a universe set of movies, you need someone who knows all about the character. And so, but maybe they're not. Like I said, like we said before, maybe they're really not going to focus on universe building anymore. And if that's the case, then yeah. But because I think even the report, like even just like a separate DC Films division, isn't going to happen anymore. It's just all going to be under Warner Brothers Films. Like they're not going to have separate division and and all that. So that's that. That's actually a really really good idea. Have the yeah, people. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have the people that are working on these movies work in the same place as the people that make movies, you know, r- rather than have two separate divisions. But it could work. It's, like again, you got to compare it to Marvel. Their movie studios division is doing awesome. With they just need someone in charge to see to oversee it all. That's the problem with Warner Brothers. I thought yeah. Jeff Johns really could be that guy, but now it's not. And who knows who it's going to be if it'll ever be anybody. So. Yeah, I guess. Wow, Tim. I mean, this is like, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, Tim is usually the most positive person (laughs) I know. And I'm that person that's, that's, this is a terrible idea. This is terrible. (laughs) 
<laughs> so this, if this is your first time listening, just know that Tim isn't usually this negative. <laughs> I know. I mean, there's a bizarre world or something. Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think this is a great idea. Uh, something needs to be done. We, we, we can't keep on having these low-rated movies on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and... You know, nobody going to see these things. Um, so yeah, uh, there needs to be something. Yeah, this, as divisive as the Last Jedi is right now, I'm sure Warner Brothers would love to be in Disney shoes. Oh yeah, <laughs> the reviews the Last Jedi got and the money it's making. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that's it for our news. Um, I guess we can move on to our uh, our mail section. Uh, for this episode, and uh, Jordan did send in an email this time, Tim. He, yeah, he, he actually he said he sent it for our last episode, but for whatever reason, we just didn't get it in our inbox. So. Oh, I see. <laughs> We're sorry, Jordan. Uh, the 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 Gotham by Gaslight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I I I just hope I didn't accidentally erase it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are you to blame, actually, for no email last episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Sorry, sorry, sorry yeah. for that, everybody. It's just signaling this new the email section of the episode. The yeah. are, like signaling the transition, or, or, or maybe they're rushing for Tim uh, yeah. because something's not right. Tim's being this negative. We got to get over there quick. Uh, Jordan says, "Hey, Tim and Dane and Alex, I want to delve into that into that Batman by." Sorry, Batman (laughs) Gotham by Gaslight trailer because it looks absolutely phenomenal. Gotham by Gaslight is one of my favorite comics of all time, and they really seem to be capturing the tone and suspense of it all uh, of it well, as far as I can tell from this trailer. As you might imagine, I'm also so glad they decided to incorporate Selina Kyle into the story for the movie. It looks like we might have some bad cat scenes to look forward to. As I think you mentioned with regards to the longer sneak sneak peek that we got earlier this year, Tim, it is really great to have uh, Bruce Greenwood back as Batman. He's one of the best. This is one of my most anticipated entries into the DCU AOM line ever. They got to think of a new acronym for that. Yeah. I think it is getting shorter, though. I think they're going to change. I think... Uh, yeah, DCA. Jordan actually mentions that later in the email oh, yes. <laughs> coming up. So. <laughs> speaking, That's what I heard. Speaking of the DCU uh, AOM line, they seem to be shortening the title again. <laughs> it was originally DC Universe Animated Original Movies, then it was DC Universe Original Movies, and the box art for Gotham by Gaslight just says DC Universe Movie. I don't know if that's a good one, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not... I'm not uh, sure what to make of that, if anything. But I thought I thought I'd point it out. I'm still gonna keep referring it to it as the DCU AOM line, though. See, just, I always just call it DC animated movie. That's all I usually say when I ask someone, "Hey, do you see the latest DC animated movie?" Yeah, just DCA, DCA. <laughs> we gotta have the M for the movie though. Like DC DC yeah. animated. Yeah, DC like, animated. Yeah. <laughs> so the D cam, the D cam. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Decam, yeah. <laughs> that's not the only trailer we got, though. We got two trailers for Batman Ninja. They finally released the one from New York Comic Con, and they also released a brand new one. I really dig them both. This looks so visually stunning and like nothing we've ever seen before. 
not even in Batman Gotham Knight. I actually love the Joker's design. He looks super creepy to me, and it looks like we've got an, we're going to get an awesome sword fight between him and Batman. Yeah, like I said, the 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 Joker in the in the Batman Ninja, he just looks like a vampire to me. Yeah. <laughs> just a yeah, just a regular vampire. Um I also love what we're seeing of Catwoman. I'm very happy that it appears she's going to be fighting with the Bat family. I'm hoping this will be a second movie in 2018 that I that I can look forward to uh some Bat-Cat moments in. Uh, the, the movie is also the first time we're getting all four current canonical Robins together anywhere outside comics. Uh, Dick, Jason, Tim, and Damien are all in it. What about Carrie Kelly? <laughs> That's who she's she, up there. Yeah. Is she, but she's not, well, yeah, she is. I keep forgetting they introduced her in the new 52 as far as the main yeah. canon, but she just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, she, she's not in Rebirth, right? No, yeah, that was, at least none of the books I've read have been any mention of her. <laughs> that should be cool. I love the music in the trailer, but I'm not sure if it's actual score. Finally, I'm very curious if the film will be subtitled in English like the trailers, or if we'll actually get an English dub. I'm hoping for the latter. Tim, I know you have opinions on that. <laughs> to me, I I can be either way. Of, right. um, if they're just going to have it in Japanese, I think that'd be cool since it's really you know an anime movie with just Batman characters. So if it's just the Japanese subtitles, I'll live with that. But if it's an English dub, I can live with that too, just as long as it's a good voice cast. So <laughs> I'm good either way. I'm going to be neutral on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you're not going to be negative on it? No, I'm going neutral. Though. Okay, okay. Uh, I enjoyed Batman vs. Two-Face, but I certainly didn't love it. As with most most Batman 66 stuff, my reaction is kind of just meh. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Batman 66, but ultimately... ultimately is just one of my preferred iterations of the character. The bad, the bad cat stuff in this movie was great, though. I love the scene where Batman visits Catwoman at her cell window. I also loved how the inquir- Jordan is really into this Batman Catwoman thing, isn't he? Oh, you just realized that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the fourth time he's mentioned that. But man, Jordan's got to be in heaven with what's going on in the comics right now, which we'll get to oh, later yeah, with Batman and Catwoman. <laughs> they're getting married. <laughs> Uh, I also loved how they incorporated Lee Merriweather's Catwoman into the film as well. It was very clever. Uh, the Two-Face stuff, I had mixed feelings on. I thought William Shatner did, delivered an excellent performance. I honestly think this his Two-Face voice could have worked in a serious Batman film. At times, I, could, I couldn't even tell it was Shatner. However, I don't. I didn't like the creative choices they made with Two Face. I'm very protective of Two Face due to Batman Forever. <laughs> He's one of my favorite bad villains, and it really bugs me when he he isn't portrayed well. Surprising, understandably um, so for Batman Forever. Yes. Yeah, this <laughs> is very surprising. Um, uh, the the most fascinating thing about Two Face is his origin. How did he go from Bruce's friend and Gotham's White Knight to one of the city's greatest threats? This movie started off with the accident instead of giving us time with Harvey pre-accident in order to make us invested in him. So what happens to him is more tragic. Well, I guess you could say the same thing about Batman Forever, right? Yeah, because he just starts off as Two-Face. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we get, get that flashback. Little, yeah. but not even a flashback. It's Bruce watching an old news report oh, yeah, about right. <laughs> Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face. How did that make it on the news? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
You think they would allow cameras in there for that type of a trial? I guess they did. Yeah. Maybe because Batman was in the testifying there, they wanted to film it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to make matters worse, it makes Harvey's two-faced condition more of a physiological uh, ailment than a physical, uh, psychological one. That takes away much of what makes the character interesting to me. As soon as Robin turned into a two-face, I knew this movie had gone off the rails with that. <laughs> There's some other stuff I, I I did like in this movie, however. It was cool how they incorporated King Tut and Bookworm into it, and I enjoyed the cameos from Hugo Strange and Harleen Quinzel. It was also, of course, just really nice to get to hear Adam West as Batman one final time. Overall, I like the film, but it's not something I'm going to be singing the praises of. The Deathstroke solo movie has me very excited. This appeals to me much more than Deathstroke being uh, in the solo bat flick, bat flick, <laughs> bat flick, bat flick. Uh, See, so now you're getting the chance yeah. to try to say that without issues, Dana. <laughs> yeah. Jordan, I think you got to find a different way to say it, uh, put that down. Uh, to me, Deathstroke is much more of a Teen Titans or Green Arrow villain than he is a Batman villain. Now, I'm a proponent of the idea of any villain in DC in the in the DC universe being able to cross paths with any hero in the DC universe at any time and vice versa. However, Batman, Batman has the best rogues gallery in all of comics. To use a villain for a solo film who isn't traditionally a member of said rogues gallery just seemed like a waste to me. Now, we don't actually know if Ben Affleck intended for Deathstroke to be the main villain of, of that movie. Uh, if Deathstroke was mere was merely a pawn of another villain, Hush perhaps, or a secondary villain, then I would have been all for it. However, I was never on board with him being the main villain of a solo Batman film. So when we learned about when we learned that Matt Reeves was starting from scratch, I was none too disappointed about Deathstroke, likely no longer being in the movie, other than feeling sort of bad for Joe Manilega's I think that's how you pronounce that, too. <laughs> Manginello. Yellow, I think it was... Well, I'm probably saying it wrong, but... <laughs> yeah, Joe Manginello, I think. Uh, given that he seems... He seemed quite enthusiastic about the role. However, I did still want to see Deathstroke show up somewhere in the DCEU. My guess slash hope at the time was for him to appear in Nightwing. But Deathstroke getting his own film is awesome, too. In many... In my opinion... And based on what we saw in Justice League, it looks like that's not the only place he'll be showing up. I'm not familiar with Gareth Evans, but from what I've heard from you guys about and others about his his The Raid movies being amazing in the action department, that bodes well for him directing a film about the world's deadliest mercenary. Just give me one Batman vs. Destro fight. Whether it's in a Batman movie, Deathstroke's own movie, somewhere, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. It was it, it it was the hardest fight in uh, Arkham Knight. Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, so, sorry, Arkham or not Arkham Knight yeah. Origins. Yeah, yeah, Origins. Arkham Knight was a little disappointing. Where he's just in that vehicle and you're fighting him in the Batmobile. Yeah. Like Deathstroke is a villain you want to have a physical fight with. So yeah, the yeah. Arkham Origin one was really cool. Uh, speaking of Deathstroke, how about his return to Arrow this season? Man, that was awesome. I won't mention any spoilers in case you ha- you haven't seen it yet, but all I'll say is that I feel that the Deathstroke fight scene at the end of the of Deathstroke Returns was like his version of Batman's Martha Rescue in Batman vs Superman. Incredible, of course. Manu Bennett's 
acting was excellent as usual too. Yeah, so it shouldn't come as a surprise that the two best episodes of Arrow this season were the ones that focus on Deathstroke. <laughs> they were really good. Yeah, the, the ending sequence he mentioned in that first episode, Deathstroke Returns, was so good. It was more brutal than I was expecting for a CW show to have too, but it felt right for Deathstroke. It was really good and so far the highlight of season six easily. So, so how is that new season of Arrow? It's, uh, it's not as bad as three and four just yet, but <laughs> I have a bad feeling it might get there because Felicity and Oliver are married now, and oh, there. you know how much I hated their relationship in the third and especially the fourth season. How it just brought the series down, and what made season five so great that that was barely even touched upon, and now it's back and worse than ever. <laughs> so, oh, so they're it's, going hard. I mean, they're. That's going to be their couple. Yeah, yeah. and just that that relationship with them never felt natural to me. It felt like fan service from the get go, and for it to progress this far where they're now married is really disappointing. But there's some good stuff in this season. Like I said, not as bad as four, but it's not as great as five was. So it's a little step back from last season, unfortunately. What happened to uh, Black Canary and White Canary? She's off on the Legends of Tomorrow series. Who uh, Black Canary? No, White Canary, Sarah oh, White Lance. Canary. Oh, that's right, because um, Laurel, uh, did she die? Laurel, she's dead, yeah. Carol, how did she die? She died in season four. Okay, so I didn't watch that whole season. So, But now they got a new Black Canary. Uh, <sighs> like Pretty much the real Black Canary, the Dinah Drake one, who just, yeah. you know, never had any previous connections to Oliver until she showed up as a hero but see to me it would have been better if they just started off with that version of Black Canary the Dinah Drake one what we have now instead of this whole Laurel nonsense and this is how they screwed that up in her character <laughs> they did not handle Black Canary well at all <laughs> really like yeah. really really badly yeah like they didn't know what to do we'll, we'll bring in Sarah Lance first which to me is the best one who was the Black Canary but we knew Laurel, they called her yeah. middle name was Dinah. So we knew we eventually she'd take up the mantle, which she did. She wasn't the best, but yet it was, you know, where we thought the story would go. But then they kill her off. Yeah. But then, oh, we still need a black canary. So we'll bring in like the real black actress. canary. Yeah, it's, it's really, <laughs> they handle it poorly. It's weird that they didn't know how to handle that. Because, I mean, it's just let Oliver and Laurel fall in love. And then they fight crime together. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's easy. Wasn't that hard? Yeah, but no, had to make it more complicated and <laughs> dramatic than it needs. Is um is Huntress still on the show? Oh, she hasn't been in it for a long time. Oh, really? I I, I thought I saw somewhere that she's coming back. I think she, I think they have planned to. I forget where or uh, when though. But uh, yeah, I can't remember. But it wouldn't surprise me if she did. Well. Uh, good luck with Harrow and Oliver and Felicity. <laughs> I'll continue to plug along and watch it. Like I said, there's still enjoyable moments. I'm just really disappointed. The Oliver and Felicity stuff reared its ugly head yeah. <laughs> this season. Um, I really liked our first look at Brendan Thwaites as Robin. The costume is sick. It does remind me a lot of Chris O'Donnell's Batman Forever costume, which I did like, but without the nipples. <laughs> I love that he's got the bow staff as well. My only issue is that I hope Brenton isn't primarily playing Robin on the show. I don't want another actor in their late 20s see O'Donnell playing Robin. 
I'm fine with Brenton playing Robin in just the pilot or just in flashbacks, but I hope he's primarily Nightwing on the show. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually would be okay if throughout the first the whole first season he was Robin, but then like by the end of the season he transitions into Nightwing. Like you get that full character arc of the course of a season. I think that would be cool. So, but I agree. Eventually, for the course of the whole series, hopefully he should be Nightwing most of the time. I know you weren't high on it, Tim, but I thought Batman number thirty four was phenomenal. Tom King just continues to churn out masterpiece after masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned. Spoilers, Batman and Catwoman's banter in this issue just had me smiling throughout. King <laughs> there, there, you mentioned it. This is like the fifth time. Batman, More coming. <laughs> Batman and Catwoman. Uh, King continues to prove that he writes their dy- dynamic better than anyone. The re- reveal of why they were tracking down Talia worked for me as well. The way I took it was that Bruce and Selina need to find Holly so they can clear Selina's name before they get married. I enjoyed this stuff. The stuff with Dick and Damien as well. Oh, as well, sorry. Is Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin stuff with the two of them still canon? Yeah, I believe it is. It should be because, like I said, the relationship that Dick and Damien have is so strong here that it has to be canon. And I know when the New 52 started, they say all the Batman stuff is, but then they started picking and choosing what <laughs> was still canon and what not and what isn't. But I think the Batman and Robin stuff still is. And I'm glad it is because those early stuff with Dick and Damien were so good. I thought Batman number 35. Did I read that? No. no you I, thought, I thought Batman number 35 was amazing as well. Spoilers. I love that Catwoman won the fight against Talia. The highlight of the issue for me was a moment between Batman, Catwoman, and Damien at the end, though. Damien asks Batman if he's happy. Batman and Catwoman look into each other's eyes, and Batman replies, I, I'm getting there. I teared up reading that. When Batman is with Catwoman, I believe that the pain that drives his crusade subsides. King is allowing Batman to find happiness. You see, it's, it's weird that it happened in comics. Um, you know, Batman ending up with uh, Catwoman. But mm-hmm. then, I remember when The Dark Knight Rises came out, everybody was mad that that happened. Yeah, and I never understood why, because yeah. if you're going to give Batman a happy ending, Catwoman would be at the top of the list of the person <laughs> he'd be happy with. So I, I never understood that, to be honest with you. So Yeah. Alrighty, it's time to talk about Batman Annual Number 2. When Rooftops came out this year, it immediately it immediately cemented itself as my favorite comic book story of all time. I wasn't sure anything was ever going to top it for me, and I certainly didn't think anything would would be able to top it this year. Well, I'm not sure that Batman Annual Number 2 quite topped Rooftops. It is right up... Which one is this? Rooftops, Tim? It's the story that came up like, a little bit before the board jokes and riddles. After the uh, vengeance of or the I am Bane storyline, I believe, like okay. sandwiched between there, it was like in the middle of King's Run. There's only about two issues. It, it, is that the one where Batman and Catwoman get together? Yeah, mm. that's what I figured. It um, is really good. Yeah. It is right up there and neck and neck with it for me. Uh, this issue is absolutely phenomenal from start to finish. Spoilers: King gives us the beautiful, heartwarming, and bittersweet story of the Bat-Cat relationship from the first kiss to the last. I love the way we see Bruce chasing Catwoman through Wayne Manor and, they ba- and the banter they have. K- 
King writes their dialogue better than anyone has before. The first part of the issue leads up to their first kiss, and it does it brilliant. And it does it brilliantly. Then we have the last part of the issue, which is such a tearjerker. I shed tears at the end of Batman number 35, but I was straight up bawling my eyes out reading the end of Batman annual number 2. I was happy, though. Uh, King gave Bruce and Selina my two favorite fictional characters of all time. Then happy ending in the comics that Christopher Nolan gave them on film five years ago. I love that Bruce and Selina got to grow old together as he was dying. Bruce suggested that Selina go get Barry to find another version of him on another Earth so that he'd always be there for her. I love that. Bruce and Selina's last kiss was a magical moment, and when Bruce finally passed away, it killed me. However, I'm so happy that he got a happy ending. This is how I've always wanted Batman and Catwoman's story to end. What really hit me was that incredibly sweet way it ended. I love you too, Cat, from the first kiss to the last. Uh, Bruce found happiness again with Selina, and he always loved her. I'm literally tearing up right now just writing about this issue. King honestly created, crafted a literary masterpiece with this one. Oh, and there's even a scene in the issue that nods to the Batman Elmer Fudd special and implies that it's canon, so that's pretty cool, too. <laughs> how, yeah. how would that work? <laughs> it just does, Dane. It just does. It just does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's awesome. But I know I didn't get to review Batman Annual number 2 in our last episode because I haven't read it by the time I recorded our last one, but I have read it since then, and I pretty much agree with what Jordan said in this email. It was a really touching issue that... Kind of like you said, the Dark Knight Rises, Bruce getting that happy ending, but it had lasting for a long time. Because what's cool about the issue, it's all the way. It starts with them, you know, very early on in the relationship stages of Batman and Catwoman, and then as them as senior citizens and way older, and Bruce gets sick and he ends up dying. And just seeing that the relationship lasted that long was pretty cool to see. So, you know, these type of stories where it's like, what if and what could be the ending for certain characters. I know Green Lantern had that when Jeff Johns finished his run. So we'll see if this, you know. I don't know if this will end up being the official canon and the ending for Bruce and Selina's story, but it's cool to read a version of what could be and what could their life could have been if they stayed together so long. So it was a very, really cool issue. Totally agree with you on that one, Jordan. Next up was Batman number 36, which is an awesome world's finest story. Spoilers, King, uh, again, King kills it with Batman and Catwoman's banter. I love seeing them fight crime together as true partners in this issue as well. Uh, great Bat-Cat stuff. King also does an excellent job illustrating to us how Batman and Superman view another, view one another and the mutual respect they have. The issue goes back and forth between Batman and Catwoman and Superman and Lois Lane before finally converging the two stories in a hilarious way. The issue ends setting up the first Bat-Cat double date, which I'm so excited for. I've also got to point out how much I love Clayman's art in this issue. He did a great work. He he did great work back in Batman number twenty four as well. And I'd love to see him work with King, even more on this run. In particular, the way he conveys emotions on characters' faces really stands out to me. Man, jo- yeah. Jordan Jordan is going to be heartbroken when Batman and Catwoman inevitably break up <laughs> <laughs> because he, he, you know this isn't going to last forever. Yeah, it's comic, so yeah. <laughs> so if you need, if you're gonna need to support group Jordan when that time comes, we'll be here. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, then he goes on to say, I did not have to switch to AT&T to those Justice League posters. Um, however, I chose not to mention that I was a Verizon customer. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a smart decision. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I, guess I, I, I guess I should get into my thoughts on Justice League now. I was grinning ear to ear as if I were infected with Joker Venom. Joker Venom. Uh, nearly the entire two hours seeing it for the first time. What a dream come true. I've been waiting nearly my entire life to see a live-action Justice League film. It's finally here, and it's awesome. Spoilers, the entire cast is excellent, and I love seeing them interact with one another. Batman and Flash's interactions were especially great, as I love the just juxtaposition between their personalities. The film featured one of the best Batman scenes ever committed to film. When Batman used that crook to attract a parademon, it was very very reminiscent of a scene from Justice League Origin slash Justice League War. I loved what we saw of Aquaman too, and it's gotten even more it's gotten me even more pumped for his solo film next year. Amber Heard was incredible as Mara in that one scene, and I loved what we saw of Alanis. I totally forgot she was in the movie. Um, Amber <laughs> yeah, Heard. Yeah, it was short, short but sweet one. So, yeah. featuring her as Mira, so it'll be cool to see her fully in Aquaman. Um, Cyborg, <coughs> Cyborg was the surprise of the movie for me. Ray Fisher was excellent. I loved his arc in the film. He started out wishing Doctor Stephen Hamilton, I mean his father Silas Stone, hadn't saved him. <laughs> Uh, but by the end of the film, he embraced the second chance in life. I do have my issues with the film. Danny Elfman's score, uh, the lack of backstory of Steppenwolf, and the use of him as the main villain in general, and Superman's return. But the movie was such a dream come true that those issues don't bother me as much as they otherwise would. I've gotten, I've also gotten mentioned that the post-credit scene was probably uh, the best post-credit scene. I've ever seen. I had to stop. I had to stop myself from shrieking in the theater. I am curious of what Jordan didn't like about Superman's Return because to me that was like one of the highlights of it. But I know I kind of said it was surprising what they did, but I bought it. So I'm curious to what exactly he didn't like about Superman's Return. So let us know in the next email, Jordan, because I find that very curious. <laughs> you know, um, I one of my complaints about Justice League was the CGI. It didn't look very good, um, and I saw this thing on on Twitter that um, they they sort of freeze frame some of the Superman stuff, mm-hmm. and Henry Cavill's face looks so bad in in, in those freeze frames. Uh, the mustache. <laughs> no, scenario. no, not the mustache. Um, just paint. Uh, I, I guess drawing his face on the CGI character. Mm. It looks so bad. <laughs> it doesn't look good at all. Um, Oh, remind me not to ever freeze frame it then. Just watch the movie when you buy it on. Um, when you buy it on DVD, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going to be getting on DVD. <laughs> You're not even going to get it. You're going to rent it from Netflix, the, yes. the physical media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you're going to go to Alaska and go to the last box. There you go. But I'm going to buy a plane ticket there, get the subscription. <laughs> rent a dvd or maybe no i'll go even further i'm gonna rent an old vhs uh or vcr but then get it on VHS. <laughs> now 
remind me if I'm um, if I'm just making this up, but didn't Blockbuster when you signed up for a new membership? Didn't they also check your credit? That I don't remember to yeah. be honest. Because yeah, by that time, I never really had my own membership. I like my parents had one. I think my yeah. other got, one, but I never <laughs> got my own membership. Oh, for it. Wow. Uh, maybe it surprised me though. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I just made that up or something. Um, anyway, uh, I, I've got to pitch in on your conversation about Spider-Man movies. I haven't seen Spider-Man: Homecoming yet. I plan to soon. But Dane mentioned it not uh, focusing on a love interest as a good thing. I don't see that the same way. Well, obviously, uh, Jordan, you 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 love the bad cat stuff, right? Um. Uh, my favorite Spider-Man film to date is The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and my love for it has a ton to do with Peter and Gwen's relationship in that film. Yeah, I I kind of see where you're coming from, Jordan, but I don't think it was necessarily written very well. I just think that um, Andrew Garfield and... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone. I think they're just really good actors, and I think they sold it really well that you believe that they were actually in a relationship. I don't think it was written good. I just think that they were good. Um, they did such a great job developing their romance over the course of both of the Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies, and I loved it. The two Sp- Amazing Spider-Man films are my favorite Marvel films ever, and so I'm actually oh. disappointed that they rebooted again. Despite me looking for still looking forward to Spider-Man Homecoming, I can almost guarantee uh, though that I won't like it nearly as much as either of the amazing Spider-Man movies though. Uh, to each their own, of course. I just wanted to give my take. Yeah, that's interesting. That the whole those amazing Spider-Man movies such high regard. I mean, I don't think they're awful. I still can find an enjoyment and watch them, especially the first one. The second one has its moments, but not one of my favorites and yeah probably if you really love the amazing spider-man 2 you're probably not going to find the same enjoyment in spider-man homecoming because like we talked about before the stuff they focus on in that movie is so different from amazing spider-man 2 and if you really like what you got there it's not going to be the same in homecoming but i'm sure you'll still find plenty to enjoy with that movie as well it's just going to be totally different so (laughs) yeah jordan i'm not like i said before i'm not really sure if it's I mean, when it comes to those movies, if it's the, um, if it's how it's written or whatever, or if it's, if it's, um, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's performance in those movies, I think it's Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone rather than how it was written. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not a relationship expert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My whole thing is always like, the relationship is always the main focus of all the Spider-Man movies we've gotten so far up to Homecoming. It was a nice change of pace to still have the relationship stuff be there, but not the main focal point in Homecoming. It was to me Spider-Man's biggest success of its balance of everything, the Peter Parker stuff and Spider-Man, the relationships, everything. I thought it was just so well balanced, where none really dominated the other over the course of the movie, which is why I really like it so much. So. So when you do see that, Jordan, let us know <laughs> your yeah. thoughts on it, too. Even if you don't like it as much as The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'm just curious to see how it would hold up for you when it compared to that movie. You know who didn't really have uh, chemistry? Tobey Maguire and uh, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, f- <laughs> it, f- wasn't, 
it wasn't off the charts. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. <laughs> especially in that last movie. No, oh, definitely. <laughs> the, Spider-Man 3, especially during the dance scene. Uh, let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's the only movie that, it's the only superhero movie, I think, that has a dance scene in it. Fantastic Four 2 had that also, where Reed Richards at a club and he's dancing and he uses oh, yeah. stretching powers to <laughs> enhance his dance moves. <laughs> <laughs> never mind, never mind. I take that back. Maybe Punisher, maybe? <laughs> I, I doubt that, though. <laughs> yeah. Punisher does have uh, the only uh, gay character in the Marvel Universe. In the movies or the new TV show? No, uh, the movie. The movies, okay. yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the TV show yet, like I, well, the Netflix where I still got to watch it. So. It's um, w- without giving out spoilers, I almost gave up on it uh, in the second episode. Oh wow, really? Yeah, <laughs> I've heard good things about it, but it pays off in the end, and I think that's what people are talking about. Okay. Uh, yeah, it pays off in the end. You, you just have to get to, get to the end because like the first two episodes, it's just a lot of people doing nothing um they they do the the frank castle thing where you know i'm so depressed and i can't move on in my life and it's just like okay you know we get it you know we know who punisher is um kind of reminds me of the beginning of uh the second season of daredevil it's That's just it's kind of like a good thing to me because i love that <laughs> especially the first half of the second season of daredevil uh, it's just kind of like Froggy, just or Foggy, or whatever his name is. Just kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> Did you call him Froggy? <laughs> yeah, Fro- sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, just Foggy being like, "Oh, you should be with Karen Page." You know, it's just it's just a lot of that. It's like, ugh, can we just move past this? And like, <laughs> let's just get to the main Punisher going after the guys. You know. Let's just get to that part. So, so yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's different for you. Maybe you need that. Um, first two episodes, three, four episodes, it's kind of like, uh, let's just get beyond this. Like, it's just Frank Castle being depressed. And it's like, okay, maybe like one episode would have sufficed, but it's just. Okay, yeah. So, like I said, when it came out, that was Justice League weekend. And now, yeah. like, the last two weeks has been nothing but Star Wars for me <laughs> watching the old movies and now this weekend I'm trying to see the new movie in theater so by next weekend I'm hoping I can finally dive into the show yeah yeah it definitely pays off in the end and uh, John Bernthal is a really really good Punisher um, yeah he was awesome in the second season of Daredevil yeah but well I mean I guess this is my this is really my fear of every um, Marvel thing that's coming out, especially uh, Infinity War, is the fact that they're because I'm not gonna watch every single Marvel thing. I'm not gonna watch like 15 movies and four four TV shows. And I I guess I'm missing some of the references or something. Okay. You know? So yeah. You know, a lot of the small things are not integral plot stuff. Like they've done a good job about that, as far as not yeah. having to see everything to get the full plot, but just certain little small connections here and there. Yeah, yeah. But um, despite it starting off really slow, I think John Bernthal is. Uh, it, it, he, he's the, he's the reason why I'm watching the show. 
the, the, the only complaint I have is like, like, I, I don't know if it's just him acting or he's told to do this, but every time like he's, he's like running into like a battle or something, or he's uh-huh. like fighting some guy, he makes this noise, this yell. It sounds like he's trying to move like a full water heater by himself. <laughs> he's like, ah, <laughs> like his battle cry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like at, at one point, uh, in like the first, like two episodes, he, he, uh, kind of attacks somebody with a, um, sledgehammer. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like he just makes that. Ah. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll be thinking of you when I see him do that. <laughs> I it's it's true, like like every time <laughs> he does that. But I, I, he's a great Punisher. Be, besides that, <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to Jordan's email. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, oh, uh, Tim, I totally get you slowing down on your Teen Titans binge. It can be hard to find time to go back and watch old stuff once the fall TV season starts. Eager to have hear your thoughts when you pick. Pick back up though. See, I'm not really no, sure if it's the fall TV season or if it's just Justice League and Star Wars. It's a combination of everything, to be honest. <laughs> There's just so much new stuff that's coming up that's really putting me on the back burner on the Teen Titans rewatch. So, yeah. At this point, I don't know when I'm going to be able to rewatch it all, but I'll be sure to let you know what I do, Jordan. So, maybe once the uh, Titans live action show gets going, it'll get me back on like a Teen Titans kick and then I'll make me go back and watch it. Hopefully it won't be that long, but if it does, maybe that'll be the thing to, you know, get me back into finishing the series. Um, I heard it's coming on a Blu-ray too, like the first few seasons. So maybe I'll just end really? up getting those. <laughs> watch there. Yeah. Um, I like the, the defenders, but not nearly as much as either season of daredevil. It got a little too mystical for my taste when it comes to daredevil. And a lot of times when non-Daredevil characters were on screen, I find myself uh, just wishing the Daredevil characters would come back on. I enjoyed it overall, though, and there were some great moments and performances. I thought a lot about the Defenders. I'm kind of finding myself more in the minority of really liking it than most do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, I just can't seem to get the motivation to watch that. I don't know what well, it I is. Will- you're going to have to watch it before Daredevil Season 3 starts, I will say that. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is, is the Defenders tied into Jessica Jones? Yeah, it's little elements of everything. Like, yeah. It's all the characters coming in together for the series. It's only eight episodes, though, so it's a little shorter than the normal uh, shows of all the characters. So it won't be as long of a commitment to finish it than yeah. those ones. We'll see. Um, you know what Punisher could really use and that Daredevil uses really well just the one shot um, uh, takes oh really yeah like the fight scenes yeah those are really awesome when Daredevil yeah. does it yeah I wish there was more of that but and it could be like Daredevil's signature thing though that makes his show more special or, or I don't think there was one I'm not sure um, anyway, uh, I love your idea for another Batman Beyond animated movie set in the DCAU, Tim. It would be hard for them to top Return of the Joker, though. However, I do feel like there's more that they can do in that world. Perhaps it's a possibility since they sort of went back to the DC 
DCAU with Batman and Harley Quinn, despite it being debatable whether that film is actually canon or not. There's also a movement going on right now try, to try to convince WB to do a Justice League animated series reunion film. Like Tim said, Dane, I think you're going to be disappointed to see Batman Ninja next year. I, for one, am really excited about it. As I mentioned, I dug the trailers. Dane, I'm... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Justice League animated series reunion film. I mean, that's, it's a shame that it even needs a petition to get that going. Yeah. <laughs> that should just be something they do automatically. So hopefully this petition really gets them wanting to make it. It would be so, so cool. Uh, Dane, I'm definitely going to get you on my podcast soon as well. We had been doing a series of reviews of the previous DCEU movies leading up to Justice League, and I knew Tim was a big defender of Suicide Squad. Are you, Tim? I am, yes. I know I'm one of the few, but um, <laughs> I'm one of the ones who defends and says it's more enjoyable than people get credit for. I will say, out of all of the Zack Snyder I mean, not Zack Snyder, sorry, uh, the, the DC uh, movies uh, so far, besides Man of Steel, I guess, I don't really call, call Man of Steel, that one was the least boring of uh, all of those movies. Uh, Batman vs. Superman was boring, and Justice League was boring, but uh, Suicide Squad, I have to give it credit, it wasn't boring. See, I get, I can get where Batman vs. Superman can drag in spots, but I didn't think Justice League did. Since it's so short, it kind of moved at a fast pace. At least it did for me, but <laughs> I didn't find it. I don't know. Too, real boring moments in there. It's, it, 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 it was the scene where they were... I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like To me, it was just... It, I don't know. It was kind of boring. Um, but anyway, uh, so I thought he'd be great to have on for that. I try to get guests on to talk about stuff that they like. That's not because I don't want negative opinions on the show, but rather because when you come on, I want you to have fun. And I tend to think it's more fun to talk about something you enjoy rather than something you don't. By the way, I think I want to thank you again for coming on, Tim. Uh, it was You're great. Very welcome, Jordan. It was fun. <laughs> it was great fun. Dane, I'll be reaching out to you shortly so that we can dis- discuss topics that you'd be interested in coming on my show to discuss. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm. I just rewatched that because it's uh, kind of Christmassy. Uh, I know what you're doing there, Dane. I know what you're doing. What am I doing, Tim? <laughs> I told you beforehand that we're planning. I'm planning to be back on Jordan's show oh, for Mask of the Phantasm. You're trying to butt in on me. That's what you're doing. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jordan. Just just kicked him off for this. <laughs> um, looking forward to having you on as well, man. Well, no pressure, uh, Jordan. Uh, you, you don't have we, you don't have to find something. Uh, j- just whenever something comes up, <laughs> you know, whenever something comes up. Uh, uh, but anyway, J- Jordan has questions like he always does. Um, his first question is, which DCAU Supergirl costume do you prefer? This might seem like a random question, but I recently finished doing a rewatch of Justice League and Justice League United. Justice League Unlimited. <laughs> Perfect timing. They should do a Justice League United. Um, Maybe that's what the reunion show will be called. <laughs> yeah, Justice right. League yeah. Reunited. There you go. Re- reunited. Uh, Perfect, time- Perfect timing to lead up to the live action Justice League film. And I kept going back and forth on which costume I preferred. So I want- wanted to get your opinions. I've come to the conclusion that I prefer her second one by a small margin. 
since it is in the same style as Superman's costume, and therefore looks cool when they're side by side, which is exactly what Carol is going. Kara, or is it Kara? I, I say I say Kara. Kara, Kara. I'll say Kara. I uh, was going for. <laughs> um, uh, for me, it's not really an animated one. Uh, I'm gonna go with um, the Supergirl sh- TV show uh, outfit because I, I've said this when I first saw it, and I'll say it again. It's it looks really really well, especially for a, a TV show. Hmm. And it does fit the more traditional Superman and Supergirl style yeah. costume that we know. But I'm actually going to go on the different route. I always liked the first costume she had in the animated series, where it was like the white t-shirt with the collar and sleeves, having like the black trim on it. Um, it was something different, but I thought it worked well, and especially for that time too, being like the mid '90s. <laughs> so it kind of fits trim. the style. Yeah, you know, like sometimes the sleeves and the collar, like. It's an old. We don't see too many of those shirt styles anymore. But they have like the black trims, like at the edge of the sleeves and the collar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the style they were going for for a first costume. Oh. I kind of liked it. Oh, I thought it was like uh, um, Spider-Man Three, uh, Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider-Man suit when he yeah you know, oh, no. the Venom. <laughs> no, 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 no. Far from from that. It's just it's like a normal teacher. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, my pick's going to be that one. Even though I do like her second one, what was the more traditional style, but I like how different the first one was. Uh, his second question is, with the live-action Justice League film out now, I wanted to look back at the seven Justice League movies in the DCU AOM line and ask you how you'd rank your top five. That wasn't worded as a question. Uh, so how would you rank them? I'm not including Justice League Dark, since this, that's not really about the Super League proper. This was much harder than I thought it would be, uh, than I thought it, it was going to be for me. The top four weren't ter- terribly hard, but determining which film got my final spot was an ordeal. But I'd go five Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. I find the crime syndicate so fascinating, and this climax of the film is awesome. I actually think it benefits from not being set in the DCAU as originally it- intended, since it, if it were, it, it would would have felt too similar to a better world, in my opinion. Uh, for Justice League, the Flashpoint Paradox, I wish they had incorporated more of the events from the Night of Vengeance comics in this one, but it's such a good Flash story, and I can't watch the scene between Bruce and Barry at the end without crying. 3. Justice League vs. Teen Titans. I feel like I'm c- kind of get- kind of cheating with this one, but it's technically a Justice League movie, if only barely. It's maybe not a great Justice League movie, but it's a great Teen Titans movie. Two, Justice League The New Frontier. This is a movie that has really grown on me over time. It's such a feel-good movie, and it always makes me smile. Plus, it has one of the best Batman lines ever, but not the best Jimmy, uh, Drooly, and Guy Milks from Holy Batcast. Uh, one is Justice League Doom. I just think that I just think it's a really brilliant story about Batman in particular and his play in particular and his place in the Justice League. And I love that so many of the DCAU voice actors returned to reprise their roles for it. Uh I you know what, I'm gonna just give this one to Tim. Yeah, 
I was going to say, Dane, have you seen... <laughs> I know you've no. seen a few, but have you seen most of these? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> it would be kind of hard to wrangle. Yeah. yeah. Or I could guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, my number five, I'm going to go with uh, Justice League Doom. Uh, like you said, Jordan, I know it's your number one, but uh, hearing the voice cast from like the original Justice League series back it was, was so cool. And the story was like... was taking from the Tower of uh, Babel storyline with Bruce having all those contingency plans for the Justice League. So it was cool to see that. And I have a soft spot for that movie because that was the first animated film I got to, you know, cover and go to the premiere and do interviews with the cast for, which was a really, really fun experience. So I'll always have a special soft spot for that movie because of that, too. Number four, I'll go with Crisis on Two Words. A really cool story. I love what they did with the crime syndicate. And the only thing that holds that back for me is the opposite of Justice League Doom or some of the voice casting I thought wasn't the best, especially Batman, whereas William Baldwin is voice to me just did not fit for Batman. It took a little bit of a way from the movie being as good as it great as it could be, I felt. And then number three, Justice League War. I love the New 52 comic with Jeff John and Jim Lee when they launched that uh, story. And I loved how it was adapted into film. They did a great job. The Batman Green Lantern banter is always a highlight. I just love it. And then number two, I'm going to go with New Frontier, classic by Darwin Cook. And the second animated movie they did when they first uh, launched this line of films, and it still holds up as one of the best. It's just such a great story and the art style, and it. it's so cool. But number one is going to be Flashpoint Paradox for me. They just did an amazing job with adapting Jeff Johns' Flashpoint story, which I loved. And yeah, it would have been nice to get a little more of the Thomas and Martha Wayne Batman Joker stuff. But even that was a side story from the main comic line. So I understand that they couldn't put it in there. And the little tease we got in the film was awesome. So all around that movie just works so good for me. The voice acting, the story, the animation, the action. It's just so, so well done. So that's my favorite of the Justice League animated movies. All right, so that's the end of Jordan's email. Thank you, Jordan, for sending in an email, even though we might have lost it or something got messed up yeah. <laughs> uh, on our last episode. So thank you for resending it. And uh, thank The show you for, feels more complete with reading it now because the other yeah. one without it, it fell off. <laughs> yeah, it just felt weird. Um, so thank you, Jordan. Um, but now we can get into our comic book reviews. Uh, for this episode, it's going to be Batman number 36 and Batman TMNT 2. Number one, um, Tim, our rating scale for this episode is going to be negative things that Tim has said on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was on the same wavelength that that's probably going to have to be our rating scale. <laughs> so yeah, Batman number 36. Um, this one, I got to agree with what Jordan said in his email about how this being a really cool issue. I mean, the parallels between Superman and Batman where they're both hesitant to talk to each other about Bruce getting engaged to Catwoman. I mean, Superman doesn't want to say anything, saying, you know, Bruce will call when he's ready. And Batman's hesitating. He's like, you know, I don't see why I need to call him and tell him this and all that. And just the whole issue is paralleling each other between Batman and Catwoman's relationship to Superman and Lois's relationship and how they interact with each other. And they're talking about either Batman and Superman. And uh, over the course of it, they're having these conversations while Batman... And Catwoman are off trying to solve a case of finding these criminals. And Superman's investigating a criminal uh, situation with Lois's help as well. But it's like that's not even what they're focusing on. They're just focusing on how to handle uh, telling uh, Lois, telling Clark to call Batman and Catwoman telling Batman 
uh, that, you know, you need to tell him about me. Like, he almost feels you're ashamed. But the reasons that they give throughout the course of the issue, while they're not telling or calling and talking to each other about this, even though, you know, Catwoman and Lois are saying, you know, you're their best friends. <laughs> like, you two are like the closest thing you have to friends. I like how Bruce, <laughs> Bruce was telling Catwoman in certain situations is like, uh, you know, uh, Alfred's like my best friend or <laughs> like giving different reasons why Superman isn't. But and while that's true, uh, Superman and Batman still have a, be- a special bond and a close friendship that he has with nobody else. So I do like how Bruce is kind of making other uh, excuses of why he's not and why he, sometimes he doesn't view Superman as his best friend, even though he probably is one of them. But well, it all comes to head where they finally are going to end up meeting each other in the same spot, even though it was unintentional where they're criminals are trying to find make an attack there and i do like though on the final pages here is probably my favorite part where batman and superman and are talking to or telling superman's telling lois and batman's talking catwoman about what makes each one of them so special in each other's eyes and their upbringing and their situations and how they could come back from tragedies and do what they're doing now and just showing that respect for each other is just so cool I just love, you know, hearing Batman say how how Superman came from a world that was destroyed and coming from a f- upbringing where he was different and an outcast. And he came a beacon of hope that everyone aspires to uh, looks up to. And Superman is saying how impressed he is with Batman coming from such a horrible tragedy of seeing your parents murdered from your eyes and not giving into the darkness and becoming, you know, into a symbol as hope in his own weights of people. Just, and I just love how they're saying different things about each other, but it's ending up being the same thing and just the respect they have. And the final lines uh, Batman and Superman say to Lois and Catwoman is just that he's a better man than I am. <laughs> they say that talking about each other was so cool because they are so right. They're the, the different reasons and upbringings they have just made them special. But yet, you know, characters that people look up to and it's not even in the stories but even in the real world what makes these characters so iconic and so special the way they described it or tom king had superman and batman describe each other which is so well done so i just love that aspect of the issue so like i said it ends with them actually bumping into each other and it looks like a, a hotel room or a lobby in the, out of an elevator batman and superman quickly knock out the criminals they were tracking and then they just superman says to batman and catwoman uh, so you guys uh, want to get a bite to eat <laughs> after lois and catwoman introduce themselves and like uh, jordan mentioned in the email it's setting up the next issue to be like the double date for the ages so <laughs> this is a really cool issue i loved it a lot just again showcasing why the batman superman relationship is you know so so cool and just their origins and backstories and hearing each each of them describe it to you know uh, they're well in Superman's case, his wife, and <laughs> Batman's case, his fiance. Of why you know each of them is special was really cool. So I'm going to give this one four and a half out of five times that I was negative on this episode. <laughs> and then we come to the comic event of the year again. Should I make that claim already? <laughs> Batman and TMNT number two. Um, you, you know, I was thinking they should do a Turtles in Time video game tie-in. Oh, how amazing would that be? I would I, love it. I, I would buy that in a second. <laughs> uh, and we'll be able to play together now that you're going to have an Xbox soon. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I should should be here on Monday. I, I, I don't know why I just didn't go and buy one from a store. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> one less trip you have to make, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I just bought the regular S. 
at him by okay. the X because I can't see forking over two hundred more dollars, over two hundred uh, more dollars for 4K resolution, <laughs> even though I don't have a 4K TV. Yeah, so if you don't have a 4K TV, there was yeah. no point. Yeah, <laughs> so good call. But Batman and TMNT number two, uh, yeah, this one's picking up right where the last one left off as far as it being awesome. <laughs> I just love how this series, is. this next sequel to it got off. It starts off with the turtles uh, coming through a port on like these rocket of skateboards that you would see them use sometimes in video games in the old 87's cartoon uh, facing off against some ninjas they were tracking uh, Karai who was the Shredder's daughter and sometimes in, she could be his daughter his stepdaughter his granddaughter but in this scenario they're billing her as the Shredder's daughter and the Shredder's gone right now and like the foot's looking for new leaders and right now it's her but there's this other group of elite foot soldiers that kind of want to take over to be the leaders of the foot clan so the turtles have a battle with them in the beginning in the subway. And then the thrux of this issue has to do with Donatello. And he kind of gets beaten up pretty good by the elite, the elite foot ninja. Even though he's able to take, they're able to stop him, he got beat up pretty bad and needed his brother's help uh, to stop this elite foot gang. And what I like about it is that Donatello, he's, you know, he's a smart one. He's getting frustrated that you know he's not as good of a fighter as his other brothers are and master splinter tries to console him and say you know each one of you has your strengths your your strength is your mind and not everyone could be the best fighter and i just love how donatello goes well there's actually one person who's the best at both and that of course is batman <laughs> looking on the encounter they had a year ago and you know that's one of the coolest aspects about batman we know he's one of the best fighters on the planet and also one of the smartest and i just love how uh, james sinian here with this issue is making donatello realize that 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 possibility can be done and that's what sets donatello off to try to go back to the dc universe and ask batman for help and kind of help to teach him how to be both because if anyone can do it it's going to be batman so i just love that that's the thrux of this first issue and what's setting the things in motion and why donatello wants to contact him but on the dc side of things in gotham batman and damien are infiltrating uh, the league of assassins and uh ray shall ghoul and but when they get there, they find out that, like one of the ninjas is saying that, you know, they're looking for someone in power to take over, you know, the League of Shadows or, or the League of Sadness here where, you know, after Ray had that team up with the Shredder that didn't go so well. It's leading kind of similar to what the foot's going through, like they're looking for new leaders. And then Batman and Damien realize that oh, there's a la- been a Lazarus pit in Gotham this whole time as one of their assassins revealed. And they go to try to stop what's going on there. But once they find out it's not, you know, Rachel Ghoul or anyone after they have attack against the Man Bat Ninjas, it's actually Bane coming out of the Lazarus pit. And, you know, it's making him even stronger <laughs> than he already was. And just thinks this is going to be the one thing that really sets him apart from Batman and can defeat him. But as he emerges from the Lazarus pit, Donatello enters their universe through his portal. And when he did that, that accidentally sent Bane into the Turtles in New York City. And the Foot Clan see him, and they kind of hinted at that Bane is going to become the new leader of the Foot Clan since they're really looking for someone to take over now that the Shredder's gone. And so that's where the issue ends with Bane coming to New York and Donatello's in Gotham. So, again, the thrust of the story of Donatello feeling inadequate but looking to Batman for help, knowing that he's both a genius and a great fighter, I just love that idea to set things in motion. And seeing Bane become the leader of the Foot 
or try to become the leader of the Foot Clan is going to be something cool to see. So, again, more great character stuff in this <laughs> Batman and Team and T crossover. It's still the effect of how cool and unique this is hasn't lost hasn't been lost on me yet, even though we're on the second series. So, I'm all in again. I'm looking forward to where the series goes as the story progresses. And so, I'm going to give it four out of five times that i was negative on this episode it's off to a great start already so <laughs> i'm in comic heaven when i'm meeting batman in the tmnt <laughs> it's it, it's as if it was written for you tim i sometimes feel that way i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i really do <laughs> uh but anyway yeah that's it for this episode um let's go over to batmanuniverse.net facebook.com slash batman universe twitter handles at batman universe tim's twitter handles at tim g311 i'll say 311 this time because to cheer you up thank you Dane <laughs> and my twitter handle is at Dane says banana uh, uh, rate and review us on iTunes and if you want to email the show it's at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com so with that like we say at the end of every single episode Tim love each and every one of you with all of our bad hearts <laughs> with all of your bad hearts I should uh, say this episode bat and turtle hearts turtle <laughs> Uh, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody. We're hopefully I'm more positive. <laughs> <laughs>